Hello, and welcome to Crisis of Faith podcast with Joe and Drew. My name is Drew, and soon I'll be joined by my good friend Joe, and we're going to talk through some issues of the Christian faith, or the Bible. That's what we do here. Um, This week in particular, on this episode in particular, we are doing the second half of a politics discussion. We're uh, a couple of days away when this releases from the next presidential election in the United States between um, the current president, Donald J. Trump, and the previous vice president, Joseph something Biden. Um, And we're having a big discussion here. Uh, The previous episode was all about matters of race uh, in this election. And this conversation is going to be largely about the discussion of abortion, Roe v. Wade, and the Christian faith, and the Republican Party, and all of those various things. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I had a friend tell me after they listened to the previous one, um, he he said, "Uh, it sounds to me like you lean a lot more far left than I would have thought. And my response to him was very sincerely, I'm not sure that that's true whatsoever. If 81% of white evangelicals were in support of the left, I might be doing the opposite podcast. Uh, So I do hope that as you're listening here, that you start to recognize that the main goal for me in particular, and I think Joe shares this, but I'm not going to try to speak for him, is to separate the kingdom of heaven, the teachings of Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, to separate it from uh, the Republican Party at this moment, or any party for that matter. Uh, but if it does sound like we're going a lot harder at the right side of this, the right wing side of this, well, that's because that is the one that appears to have it in its grips at the moment. So here's our little jingle for this week, and we'll get into the episode. Preacher, is it true that God is a white Republican? Loves his guns and his flags And he'd sell out his son If that's what it takes to win an election Preacher is Donald Trump God's new plan to show us the way And to save us He can build up a wall He can protect us from all The people who don't like our white Jesus It's almost Halloween Uh, yeah, yeah You're, This you week kids. This right. week. Yes, that's right. Because this is. <laughs> yeah, good. good, good. <laughs> yeah, this weekend. Uh, yeah, and uh, they are going as. Um, they're just going in a couple of jumpsuits. Uh, but they're yeah. called. Uh, I don't know. It's from a show, Miraculous, that they were really, really into for a little while. One of them like, has ladybug spots, and the other one's just black. It's just a cat. It's called Cat Noir, which I think that means cat black, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the the big one is the cat, and the little one is the ladybug, and they want me to go as one of the villains. I'm very conflicted actually about this uh, because the villain is like a like a rock star on the show. Okay, so they want me to go for Halloween as a rock star. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I literally have two rock and roll gigs on Halloween. <laughs> like I'm going trick or treating with them <laughs> between gigs on Halloween. Um, so it's, we, it just feels, it feels a little posery or like either it, it either feels like kind of posery or it feels like I'm really, really phoning it in. 
<laughs> just like, oh, <laughs> you just you just went as your uh, in your costume for the day, just carrying that guitar around, huh? It's like, well, I mean, yeah, I was just using it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we we do that in this in this house now, despite. I mean, we celebrate the Lord's birthday on Christmas and the devil's birthday yeah. on Halloween. Right, um, right. Did you did you do it growing up? Did you do Halloween? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, Trunk or treat at church? No, we never did that. We actually went trick-or-treating, um, and we would do costumes and everything. My, my parents never really had real strong rules about, like, the actual holiday itself, like a lot of my friends did, and a lot of my friends were really, really strict about it. I think Megan's... Yeah parents were pretty pretty strict like they didn't do um anything very very traditional about it um but i don't know my parents always had this like like they set the uh, their own standard for things which i think is wise now but at the time it was kind of like yeah but we kind of like it so (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah like my mom hated harry potter until she Mm. read it like that was the, you know you what I mean? It's yeah, so and then, good. Yeah. And then she read it and she was like, oh, "Okay, this is pretty great." So I guess I got no <laughs> problems with this anymore. Like, uh, and so Halloween was a little bit in the same boat where it was like, "We don't do the evil stuff. We don't do the death and the the skeletons and the skulls and all that because we don't like it." Um, but uh, everything else that Halloween is, we're cool for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, did you I, do we were kind of the same way. We like my parents didn't like. We weren't allowed to dress up like witches or, like, you know, zombies or any. That's what you always wanted to be was a witch. I did, because <laughs> um, I had read Harry Potter. Oh, okay. No, actually, see. not. I was not allowed to read Harry. Like that. I. I still. I You're still not allowed to read that? Allow that. No, I haven't. <laughs> I've, I've read it, but my parents just don't know. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) and they can't figure out how a podcast works so (laughs) exactly they can't get a podcap but they they um they were worried about they did like they were kind of like that fine with going to get candy as long as you weren't dressed up as a witch but they my my mom in particular was really worried that halloween was the night when the satanists there were a lot of satanists in in town, she thought. Oh, butt tons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that that's when they would come out and do their evil. So they might, you know, we would do the traditional, like, I don't know. <laughs> I talked to other people about this and they're like, what the hey, f- are you talking about? Did your parents go, go through your candy, candy to look through, look for like uh, razor, razor blades, blades yeah. snuck in or oh, like yeah. drugs? Other people didn't do, you, you've talked to people who didn't do that? Yeah. I've, not, oh, yeah. I've never really mentioned it. It's not. It's one of those things that you're like, I didn't know that this wasn't normal. But I, in West Virginia, I, yeah, the standard because of the Satanist, and we worried about like you know you you couldn't go like when we got old enough that we were still trick or treating, but kind of like going to a friend's house and going out on our own or whatever. Like it was really worrisome to my parents because you might you know what if you run into the Satanists and they're yeah out doing their. All you got to you know, do is, whatever it is say the name of Jesus do. and they'll flee. <laughs> That's right. They can't stand it. <laughs> Cast them in. <laughs> Just look for a herd of pigs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty fun. I didn't know. I, I had never thought about those strange things about growing up in Appalachia where you just don't even realize it's weird. Like most of it, you, you start to get a concept for like, oh, yeah, that was weird. I see that now. I, it hadn't even crossed my mind that probably most people weren't really like looking through 
their kids candy for razor blades. Apples was the big thing. Like if somebody gave you an apple, they'd sneak a razor blade into an apple. <laughs> yeah, right. I should just I should also add for the listener, anybody who's from somewhere other than Appalachia, I know of absolutely zero documented cases of this whatsoever. It's not actually like a thing that was happening. <laughs> yeah, it's right. just a a thing. It's kind of, but it's also like if it did happen once, it never could happen again. It's probably like the the same the reason we have to all take our shoes off whenever we go to the airport now. Yeah. yeah. Like cuz there was one time that somebody used their shoe to blow up a plane or so I don't know what they did. Um it was like obviously no one's ever gonna do that again. <laughs> like they're gonna have a new plan, but we're all gonna take our shoes off from now on. Yeah. Anyways, I guess I don't know. Are people still flying? Well, not not these days. Yesterday, I got in the mail a bunch of books from. Nice. Uh, Thomas J. Ord, his new book, new newish book, it's called God Can't. Yeah. How to believe in God and love after tragedy, abuse, and other evils. Uh, he sent those to us because he's coming on the show in, in a couple of weeks. He's going to be on our. But he's episode like that comes out. He's like a person people know. He is. Yeah, I Does know. Does he know that we're not persons people know? I told. <laughs> I told him that he when we were talking about you know he's gonna come on the podcast I said look man thank you that sounds awesome but this is gonna be a bump for us and not for you Uh, and he was like yeah yeah that's fine Um, so really gracious of him to come and be on the show and if you don't know Thomas Ord um, you know the I'm personally, I'm fairly uninitiated on on Thomas Ward. I knew the name as soon as you said it because of his connections to some other other theologians, uh, okay, in in similar fields. Um, but I once I started looking into him, that's when I was like, oh yeah, same circle, even same level, just for some reason, kind of uh, a, a different sphere than I had been in. And now I'm now I'm picking up on the guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you know awesome people stuff. like Greg Boyd, you're probably going to be into yep. to Thomas Ord. Um, John Sanders would be another one. So if the book is about, you know, as the subtitle suggests, um, about thinking about God and about whether the universe is good and loving after you've been through some kind of tragedy, um, some kind of abuse, some kind of evil, and... Or if you think to yourself, crisis, maybe a crisis of faith, <laughs> like <clears throat> if you think to yourself, um, well, okay, I already know what he's going to say, that God has a plan for my life, that that there's a mystery, that it's bigger than I can know, you know, that it all works out for our good in the end. You're gonna be surprised. <laughs> Tom, Thomas Ord is not gonna say it doesn't, it doesn't work out for your good. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I mean, he's just not gonna be the platitudes that you're expecting. So, yeah. um, really excited to introduce folks to that conversation, and also to get you the book. Uh, we got now a stack of books that we'd love to send to you. And if you watch our Facebook page and our Instagram. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we will show you how to do that, how to enter to win uh, some of those books. Yeah. 
Hey, welcome to the deep, deep throes of our uh, political conversation. Uh, this is the other thing that I that I mentioned in the previous episode, maybe, uh, that our church keeps uh, some beer in the nursery refrigerator. It's the only refrigerator in the building, and there's no babies in the nursery since COVID-19. Um, but since it's 11 a.m., <laughs> I'm opting for the other option, which is uh, 100% Burton Ernie Berry Juice. God made Apple and Eve, not Apple and Steve. <laughs> Good one. Good one. We're not going to talk about that in this episode, though. Um, so we're, we're, we've been talking politics for a while. Uh, the previous episode, we mostly talked about uh, racism, mostly addressed um, immigration, racism, um, the, uh, how we treat the poor, uh, what we're voting for in this election in terms of those things and and sort of uh, it, it may come as a major major shock to you um, if you know Joe or I personally but we happen to think that the Trump administration um, isn't as Christian as the Christians who are telling us it is <laughs> say it is um, we, we have some some real real uh, concerns and questions about that um, but after that conversation um, I feel like just to kind of lead us into the next part of it, because most of the second half of this is going to be about Roe v. Wade. We're mostly going to talk about abortion. We could probably devote an entire series of teachings to the history of this particular issue and the complexities of it. We're not going to do that today, though. <laughs> today we're just going to try to talk through a couple little things. Um, but even before we get into that, can I just say we have sacrificed and surrendered so much for this one issue like the church of the risen Jesus has swallowed so many other things ignored yeah. so many other things abandoned argued with fought with called people demons and devils and murderers like we have done so many unchrist-like things in defense of this issue because this issue matters so much to us um that i my greatest concern in this election what i said in the previous episode my greatest concern in this election is not who gets elected and i may be in the minority for that i know i'm not i'm just I've never really been much of a, a voter, or uh, I, I'm voting this time, but I've never really been in that fight. But I am more concerned for what is going to happen to the church, the American evangelical church, um, if we do not course correct and spot some of these major problems. I just feel like there is more at stake in this election than the next Supreme Court appointee. As far as the church is concerned, there's more at stake than who the president becomes next. There's more at stake than whatever laws are passed. That we are in a place of like, man, we are selling a whole lot of stuff for this carrot on a string that's being dangled in front of our face. Yeah. Of Roe v. Wade being overturned. I'm not sure it's possible. We'll talk about that a little bit today. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, that it's ever going to happen. I'm not sure if it should happen. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that uh, that it's as cut and dry and binary as most Christians say that it is. Um, but 
Well, man, I think that's so. There, there was a really good article came out last month in America Magazine. It was a Catholic magazine um, by a fairly conservative Catholic theologian named Bill Kavanaugh. We can mm-hmm. put it in the show notes. Um, and Bill Kavanaugh does not like he he wants abortion to be not legal. Um, he he doesn't. He is no fan of abortions because um, he's a good Catholic theologian. And in his article, he's saying that voting for Republicans, holding out hope for the Supreme Court nomination is not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the argument that he makes is really fascinating for that. Um, he goes, if like... Let me just go on for a minute and do like a history because I just want to walk you through some of this. I'm stuff really, that, I'm really interested to hear this. Um, yeah, it's you, you wild. mentioned a few of the bullet points of it. I really want to hear them. So, the last time that a majority of sitting Supreme Court justices were Democratic appointees was 50 years ago in 1970, uh, which is three years before Roe v. Wade, right? Uh, the only time in those 50 years, there, there's only been once where there wasn't a Republican-appointed majority, and that's uh, in 2016 when Scalia died and the Republicans in Congress wouldn't let Obama appoint a replacement because, you know, back then it was unconstitutional to do that it's, in an election, year. an election year. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at that time there was a 4-4 split, right? Now we're doing it in an, in an election week. <laughs> <laughs> right. But when when Roe was decided in 1973, there was a six to three Republican appointed majority on the bench. Five of the six Republican appointees voted to legalize abortion in 1973. Yep. And then in 92, um, Reagan and Bush, the first Bush, had appointed five justices. So there was an eight to one. Republican advantage on the Supreme Court, eight to one. And the one Democrat, Byron White, uh, w- the one Democrat appointee, was one of the justices who had voted against Roe v. Wade. All right? So there should be like a nine to zero yeah. anti-abortion, like pro-life bench. Uh, if there was ever a time to overturn Roe v. Wade, 1992 was that time. And that is the year that Planned Parenthood versus Casey came before the court. And not only did they not overturn Roe v. Wade, they actually outlawed additional restrictions on abortion. Like, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter who's on the bench. Uh, No Republican administration in the last 50 years has made any significant difference in the rate of abortions. And in fact, abortion rates do tend to fall a little bit more rapidly under Democratic administrations yeah. and Democratic yeah. presidents. When they're caring better for poorer regions. People who are in situations to yeah. need abortion. That's right. So, like, this, and this is Kavanaugh's conclusion, which I think is just fascinating. He says, Republican leaders don't want to reverse Roe v. Wade. Because they are getting your votes. They're getting evangelical votes 
and Catholic votes without having to deliver anything substantial in return. Right. Like, so what incentive do they have? Like, because then they're just going to have to find that, a new issue. Not only that, it, yeah, because, yeah, you said it. <laughs> if they got it, if they overturned it, then how are they going to get Christians to vote Republican next time? Exactly. How yeah. are they going to get them to hold their nose against and, and vote for racist, misogynistic, patriarchal, um, cursing, all of the things that Christian, <laughs> that, that evangelicals tend to not like? How are they going to get them to vote for them again if they go ahead and do this thing that they've been dangling in front of them for 50 years? Yeah. And not right. doing. Yeah. And, and that's like we're we're telling we're going to. We're going to hold our nose. We're going to vote for Trump. Um, and we're saying, like, we this was the whole last episode, but I think it's worth saying again. Like, when we vote for a president who makes explicitly racist and white nationalist and white supremacist statements, that that causes, it, it perpetuates systems that cause real harm to black and brown people and and for many, um, causes the loss of their lives. And we're saying we're okay with that by voting for, for this administration. We're saying we're okay with that because yeah. of this mirage. This thing that is not going to happen. <sighs> yeah. Um, so... All right, I have a lot to say on this, and a lot. I don't want to get out of the, um, out of what makes sense for a, a, a timeline, um, for how how to address all of this stuff. But I am curious how we got here. I, I am a little curious, like how did this become the thing? I th- I'd like to save. Um, yeah. I guess I'd like to save the actual ethical discussion of of what this is and 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 what. Yep. Because I think it's worthwhile to give my actual opinion and you to give your actual opinion on what what this is. Um, just to and to tease that, I'll say I'm not sure I've ever met a Christian uh, or most humans, period, who are pro-abortion. Um, <laughs> right. I don't right. think there's anybody anywhere singing the "Oh, I wish there were just more abortions" song. Um, so before we get too deep into this and you start drawing a lot of conclusions about us, I just want that to be something that's really, really clear front and center for every listener, um, from every background, just to know there's no such thing as pro-abortion Christians and calling them that is small and stupid. There's no such thing as pro-abortion candidates. Like that's what these, these stupid letters I got in the mail from faith and freedom coalition saying, tell your people that joe biden is pro-abortion no he's not no one is pro no one is saying i wish we could kill more babies in utero for no reason no one is for that um so let's make let's realize that it's a little more nuanced than that it's a little more subtle than that um but again just a teaser so that we don't sound too much like we're so that you don't start putting us in that camp of like oh these are pro-abortion people like no there's no such thing as that um but how did we get here how did yeah. we get to the point where this is the thing the evangelical Why is this church the issue? Yeah, will yeah. sell every other aspect of their identity for this thing, for this thing that's not in in the Bible. <laughs> um, 
Well, those are the easiest things to sell on, though, man. Yeah, sure. You John and I know Collins that all too well. John Collins, who's like he's a really good biblical scholar at Yale. He's important in my dissertation work. Um, wrote an article just last week in Religion News Service. We can put that in the show notes too. Uh, just a short article called what, "What Does the Bible Really Say About Abortion?" And the basic point that he's making in the article is, well, nothing. <laughs> the Bible is silent on this issue. And, you know, abortion, it's not its not a new thing. Like, abortion has been around. It was known in the ancient Near East. The ancient Assyrians condemned it. And the ancient Hebrews did not. There's yeah. nothing in in the Hebrew Bible that that addresses it. The closest possible thing in the Hebrew Bible that addresses it is Exodus 21 um, there's is it is the passage that is famous because Jesus quotes it um, you've heard it said an eye for an eye tooth for tooth and I say something else well that here's what that passage is about it says um, when people who are fighting injure a pregnant woman uh, sorry this is Exodus 21 verses 22 to 24 when people who are fighting injure a pregnant woman so that she has a miscarriage, but no other injury occurs, no injury to her occurs, then the guilty party will be fined that, uh, what that woman's husband demands as negotiated with the judges. If there is further injury, in other words, injury to her, uh, then you will give a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth hand for a hand a foot for a foot in other words what this is saying is the the woman's life is a life now it's still her husband's property and that's what's the real problem is that if she dies (laughs) her husband's being but he's being uh the property being taken from him is is human property is a life and so you treat it as you treat a life if she loses her eye you take an eye you lose her hand you take a hand um she loses her life. It's a life for a life. If the fetus dies, if she has a miscarriage, then we're just talking about a fine. The yeah. text seems to say that the woman's life is more important than the life of the fetus. Yeah. That's depending on how you... That, that was from the Common English Bible translation. Um, the NIV, which is a famously evangelical translation of the bible renders the same passage this way if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely and then it footnotes or has a miscarriage but there is no serious injury then the offender must be fined so they're saying they basically remove the possibility of abortion being in there and it's actually ambiguous what the hebrew says is um that her fruit departs so it Either translation could be kind of accurate, um, but either way, you have the one passage in the Hebrew Bible that addresses this could, on one translation of it, say that the life of the fetus is less valuable than the life of the mother, or it could just say nothing. Yeah. Like in the, the NIV's translation of it, it says nothing to the question of abortion. Um, and the New Testament is continues this silence. There's just nothing in the Bible 
about this issue. It's not that it the Bible doesn't condone it and it doesn't condemn it. Yeah. Um so but but it is, it has somehow become, right, the like we're not talking about what the Bible talks about, uh about the orphan and the widow and the immigrant and the poor. We're not talking about Jesus's criteria for judging nations about the hungry and the thirsty and the imprisoned and the sick. It's this one issue that the Bible doesn't address. The Bible is silent on that evangelicals, that's the hill they will die on. How did that happen? I, yeah, I want to know. I want to know what happened. I want to know how we got here. I know what I, I know how I was indoctrinated for it. I know at the micro level, I want to know at the macro level, I yeah. think. Do I get those right? But at, sure. the, at the micro level, um, micro sounds smaller. So at the, in, in my life, I know that I went to Christian music festivals and they passed out plastic baby fetuses. Um, oh, I know yeah. that I went to yeah, youth yeah, camp yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, and they had um, little tiny fetuses and bigger fetuses and, and bigger fetuses and bigger ones and pictures of abortions gone wrong and picture like I know that as a 13 year old uh, Christian kid that I was being shown pictures of what Bill Clinton wanted to do to every baby uh, was he was he a, a, a pro-choicer I can't yeah. remember. I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't. I was thinking for some reason that maybe he was one of the Democratic candidates that was actually uh, not. But that's no. Um, but yeah, that, th- these Jimmy are the pictures Carter. I was being told. Okay, these are the pictures I was being told. He loves this stuff. Yeah, uh, eats it up. The, yeah, these people love to to murder these um, children of God, and. Uh, so how I arrived at some of the conclusions that I arrived at in my early 20s about it and, and feeling like, well, yeah, that's a, I could see how that could be the hill you would die on. Like, that's terrible. These people on the other side are awful. They love that stuff. They want there to be as many abortions as possible. Yeah, we, we should stop them. Um, right. So, I mean, it's easy to see, but where does that come? Why is that the thing that's being indoctrinated? Why is yeah. that the thing that, that's being uh, so taught? And the narrative, the, the myth is that, like, evangelicals were kind of politically quietist in the, in the 60s, early 70s. Um, like, they weren't, weren't involved in politics. And the myth is that, Roe v. Wade passed in 1973, and it just evangelicals were outraged at the, this legalized killing of all these babies, and so they rose up against um, abortion, and that's kind of the the foundation of the religious right and the moral majority and all this stuff. That is not true. It turns out that's not what okay. actually happened. Um, really. So my denomination, I grew my the the denomination of my youth, Southern Baptist Convention, which is like one of the most conservative evangelical denom, definitely one of the most outspoken evangelical denominations uh, in politics today. Um, 
in 1971. Is it fair to say that the SBC is the is kind of the mother denomination to, to most like mainline evangelical? Like, oh sure, yeah. All of the big big churches in the United States have their roots in that Elevation Church and yeah, uh, the Life Church, like the biggest ones I know of. Um, and then even like the Assemblies of God, I think, branched out of that, which is one of the largest denominations across the world. It's charismatic. The Church of God pretty much branched that. So this is the one. Yeah. That and it is the, the denomination of Franklin of Graham, yeah. of Robert Jeffries. Like it is. Yeah. Uh, Charles Stanley. So the Stanleys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So in 1971, my denomination, the SBC, passed a, revolu- a, a resolution calling for the legalization of abortion. And then they reaffirmed that resolution in 1974, the year after Roe v. Wade, and again in 1976. Like, this this denomination was not initially against Roe v. Wade. They weren't against abortion. Uh, and that, that was true in evangelicalism at large. In 1968, uh, Christianity Today, which is like kind of the flagship publication of evangelicalism magazine uh, had a bunch of got a bunch of evangelical leaders, pastors and theologians together and they issued a statement in 68 saying we don't know. We we feel ambivalent rightly about the the morality of abortion because they they were looking at like good evangelicals, they were reading the Bible and going there's nothing yeah. here. We don't know. Yeah. We want to leave it open. And the thing is that Catholics have always been um, have always been against abortion. Catholics have a really consistent life ethic. Um, so they're not only against abortion, they're also against the death penalty. Um, they also are have a, a pretty stringent just war tradition. Um, so they they're very much They've been against abortion, but in a different way than evangelicals have been. Right. But in the late because 60s, evangelical, just to because evangelicals like when if you call yourself pro-life, which I I don't like anymore. I think that's I think that's a terrible misnomer. You're pro-birth, um, but voting for pro-life has uh, pretty much always meant voting for capital punishment, voting for right. um, military spending, voting for uh, basically no regulations and laws whatsoever on guns um, that people are uh, allowed to own and use against um, fellow humans, uh, even weapons that are not designed for hunting anything except humans. Um, yeah, the the pro-life side is also pro-all of that stuff. And what you're yeah, saying is right. that the Catholic Church at least has a true through line or a closer to true through line life ethic that says if we're going to be pro life, then we need to be pro all life, not just um, pro birth, not just but really, not just yeah. the yeah, yeah. So like in the late, you know, and evangelicals and Catholics have met now on that point at least about abortion. Um, but in the late sixties, early seventies, evangelicals were like every other Protestant in America, kind of anti-Catholic and kind of like, well, whatever they are about. We kind of don't care about that. We're not for it, which is why, like, which is why the Southern Baptist Church was advocating for the legalization of abortion in 1976, and why Christianity Today was unsure about it in 1968. Like, 
Um, so what really caught, what really made that shift um, around like the time of, of the Reagan revolution was, well, so in, um, go back a little bit, like 20 years before this, uh, Brown v. Board of Education had outlawed the segregation of schools in 1954, right? Um, and all of a sudden, white students in southern states uh, started leaving public schools, and they were going to these tax-exempt private Christian segregation academies, right? Where, where because they were private schools, they could... Um, not admit any black students and in some southern counties we're talking about in in the late 50s literally zero white students enrolled in public schools and this it went on for 20 years and then in 1971 uh some parents in mississippi started saying like you can't do this you can't just resegregate schools uh, through this kind of backdoor channels and continue to get a tax exempt status. So they take them to court. The case is called Green versus Connolly. And they win. The segregation academies lose their tax exempt status. Um, and guess who ran one of these segregation academies in Lynchburg, Virginia? It's a dude named Jerry Falwell. Right, uh, and he likes his tax exempt status for his school, and yeah. so he and his friends, you know, they come up with a plan. Basically, how are we going to galvanize evangelicals against this stuff? But they they realize because they're politically smart enough to realize that just like straight up blatant racism isn't going to sell <laughs> very well. <laughs> Um, oh, how wrong they were. <laughs> right. If only they had 2020 eyes. <laughs> 81% of white evangelicals will just go, from, they'll take it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> right. So they came up with abortion. That was a good, um, that was huh. a good issue. Uh, and they were using this issue. They were able to mobilize evangelicals to turn out and vote for this divorced California actor instead of the sitting president Jimmy Carter who actually was an evangelical and who they had all come out to vote for you know in 1976 right and does this sound familiar this yeah we don't care about your character we don't care about your evangelical identity we don't care if you're one of us as long as you promise to deliver on the one thing um like that in 1980 with the the election of Ronald Reagan, uh, this is when evangelicalism and the Republican Party basically fused into a single entity. Nice. And, yeah. I mean, and it's this is the this is the fruit today, this is the fruit of that that conversation. And I think it's worth saying that like I know a lot of people who vote on the one they only vote on whether a candidate says that they are pro-life right that's that's it it doesn't matter um 
you know, what Jesus's criteria for judging the nation about, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you sick? Are you in prison? Are you an immigrant? doesn't matter. Like they're, they're going to vote on that one thing. Uh, and I'm not saying that to do that is racially motivated, right? I know that these people hold that belief, hold that view with sincerity. Uh, and that for them, it is the most important issue. But what I am saying is that historically, the reason that became the issue for evangelicals rather than the things that Jesus said, I will judge the nations for, the reason abortion became the sole issue, like for evangelicals as a voting block, is because people who had a financial interest in upholding racist systems pulled the wool over their eyes. Yeah. When I think about a a Donald Trump in particular, I think of someone, we have no evidence of this. We don't know anything about him, really. Like anything he doesn't want us to know. We don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, we With know 72% of what you say is is a lie. <laughs> we, it's really hard to tell. We know that you haven't paid taxes like the rest of us. We know or you or you wouldn't hesitate to show um those forms. We know that you Something that's an interesting thought experiment for me is that evangelicals are willing to hook, line, and sinker, go head over heels for a candidate who I would say anyone who says that guy has never paid for an abortion um, is being an idiot. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you are being he paid a hundred and thirty thousand dollars that we knew of to just cover up that he had an affair with a porn star. Yeah. Um, tell me that that guy has not paid for his own share along with his son's shares of the thing that it's very, very troubling to me that whenever we talk about like policy over character or policy over what it's a real problem for me that. All we care about is see, I think I think more evangelicals know I think they know more than they want to act like they know. Mm-hmm. I think some of them know this isn't gonna get turned around, but this gives me a bit of an excuse to vote for the other things that I think matter, like my guns mm-hmm. and like uh border walls and like other I think there's a whole lot of people who kind of know like he's not a like he's not an anti-abortion candidate and also this probably isn't going to really happen. I I feel like there is I just I've tried to be as nice and and open as possible in all of this to the other side, but I also feel like there's a bit of a like um maybe maybe a slight rebuke does need to happen to say when you say character doesn't matter, you're saying not only something that contradicts everything in the scriptures and everything that we stand for and everything that we hold dear, that, I mean, basically, to, to truly follow Jesus is to say character matters so much that if it ends your life at 33 to do the right thing, then you do that. Right. <laughs> 
and right. your and your move if it if it means you don't get to preach your your message anymore if it means you don't get to do anything else to make the world a better place by all these standards then you you do the right thing um your character matters more god looks at the heart like god yeah. like that's yeah. i just there is a bit of a a really really hard rub for me to come at this and to say character doesn't matter we just got to vote policy how how do we do that how do we look at that and say we know that this is someone who doesn't have a moral compass um, for any of these decisions they're all like what's the side I need to stand on to get that vote what's the thing I need to say to get these people really motivated do we not care at all about that side of it is I don't know is that question making sense like yeah like where that's coming from I mean I I struggled with the I struggled with the character thing for for pragmatic reasons the first time around like when we all knew that this was someone who lied about everything and couldn't be trusted and was a joke to us all and we said well but he's gonna do the right thing like well okay here's one one of the really pragmatic reasons that character matters is if you're deal- dealing with someone who lies about everything, then how do you even yeah. know they're going to do the thing that you're voting for them to do? They're lying to you. <laughs> like, right. I'm voting for him so he'll make these laws, ha- so he'll build this wall for us, so he'll make America great again, so he'll lock Hillary up, so he'll what? Yeah, but he's a liar. That's one of the reasons the character, Matt, not... not just to put aside all the Christian reasons, like just the pragmatic <laughs> right. reasons character matters here yeah. is if somebody doesn't, isn't going to follow through on anything they say they're going to follow through on, what are you voting for? <laughs> okay, so to kind of close out these two episodes, I thought maybe we could do something a little lighter. Um, something that kind of takes things on a, a slightly different direction, a little bit different trajectory. Um, I think we need to remember if we're Christians, um, and even if you're not a Christian and you're listening, um, this can apply to you too. There is more at stake right now in our nation um, than just who gets voted in and what policies get past that stuff absolutely matters there's some big deal stuff but there's also some other stuff uh, that we really need to reclaim and really need to consider and really need to take in to, to remember as we're discussing these issues and as we're disagreeing with people um, Jesus doesn't teach uh, a lot of American political uh, politics does like a lot of laws he does not teach abortion what to do about it. He does not teach about um, homosexual marriage. He does not teach about tax law. He does not teach about so many of the things that we make it all about, but he does teach extensively about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to interact with people whose opinions, ideals, worldviews, affiliations, and parties oppose ours. He has a word for those people. He calls them your enemy. And Jesus teaches really extensively what we're supposed to do when we're talking to someone that we know to be an enemy. And he doesn't say that we should vanquish them. (laughs) 
he doesn't say that we should best them. He doesn't say, and, and there's, and it's important to me because a lot of my enemies, those who I would consider to be my enemies, uh, a lot of them are idiots. Uh, they're real dumb about some some real dumb stuff. It's just true. Uh, but what I've discovered that is so true about Jesus, so much of what he teaches is about character and is about what's nice and what's best for like so much of Jesus' teachings, as we've said on here before, is like, don't be a potato head. Like that's so much of what... <laughs> He also seems to know something that we all know to be true. You're not going to change someone's mind on these things in an argument. It's not going to do the very thing that you think it's going to do. When you post to Facebook, you're not going to change your father-in-law's opinion on who he's going to vote for. None of us are watching the debates to determine who we're going to vote for. We're watching the debates to make sure that we understand the jokes on SNL. Like the, we all know who we're gonna. We know where we stand, and so the, it's important to me, from a, you know, kind of a pastoral place, to say. There's more at stake here. We do need to learn how to talk to people on the other side. Um, Jesus says, "Love your enemies, love those who disagree with you, pray for those who persecute you." Another word for persecute there would be like oppose. Pray for those who oppose you, not pray at them <laughs> like prayer yeah. prayer is not this like i'm i'm partnering up with god to fix those people on the other side no it's like wishing the best for people on the other side and this is the only way that we're actually going to change um anything uh and then i wanted to add and this is the the final thoughts that i have on it because we don't do sermons on here so i want to be careful not to do sermons um uh, but <laughs> man I, I just thought it was stumbled into something this week in in preparation for my um to talk to my my friends and, and family at my church that I just thought was useful to us all. Um, Jesus teaches, if you love those who love you, what reward will you have for that? <laughs> Don't even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than anybody? It's like Jesus. It's like the first century Jewish equivalent of like, you want a cookie? Like, <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so right. you can get along with people that you can get along with. Good for you. Uh, so you can yeah. you can have good civil conversations with people you agree with. Good for you. Uh, everyone does that. Um, that's not special. And it doesn't change anything. It doesn't bring the kingdom of heaven to earth here and now. It doesn't make a difference. Everything that we've discussed in these past two episodes, I think, is incredibly important, majorly important. But we're also not going to change anybody's mind by coming at them. We're not going to change anybody's mind by um, if we really want to see good things happen. I think we need to point back to civility. (laughs) We need to point back that we need to say over and over and over again, the way Donald Trump talks to people, it's not normal. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not good. And if you're a Christian and you're defending that stuff, I just want to say you can vote for Donald Trump if you want to. You can ignore every other thing that we said. You can vote for him if you want to. But please, for the love of God, call it schnitzel when he does schnitzel. Like, call it awful when he does awful things. Like, say, I voted for him and I hate what he said to the Proud Boys. I voted for him because of abortion. 
I don't care what you guys say about that. That's what I'm going to keep voting for. I saw the baby fetuses when I was 13, and I can't get the image out of my head. So I'm voting for that. But I hate it when he talks about women the way he does. I hate it. Like, can yeah. we not just do that? And, and, and in that, actually maybe make a difference. Actually maybe sort of make some change happen uh, without trying to change each other's minds. Maybe we could just be a little... Have a little nuance, a little adult, mature nuance in the way yeah. that we man. That's even politics. That's even yeah. what Jesus said next. The last thing he said in that little rant in Matthew five was, "Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect." And the word "perfect" there could be translated as "mature." Jesus is like, "Be be grown up. Can you not be grown? Yeah. Are you really going to be the kinds of people who are like, I only love who I love. I only like. I'm I'm playing." I'm in this big room and I'm playing Red Rover, Red Rover, come on over against the people on the other side of the room. And Jesus, can you not be more grown up than that? Can we not be more better than that? Like, because that's what everybody's been doing from the beginning of time. You're not doing something special. You're not bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. If you're saying those people over there love abortions and so they're evil. You're not doing this if you're saying those people over there love to murder people with their semi-automatic weapons. I don't know what else they want to do with their semi-automatic weapons, but I, I know that some of the people that I know who own them, like, they don't love to murder people with them um, yet. But they could if they wanted to, and that bothers me. <laughs> Thanks for your time, friends. Thanks for listening. If we hurt your feelings, hopefully it was in a good way. You could hurt our feelings, too, by leaving us a review, following us on Instagram, and trolling us, <laughs> following us on Facebook, and trolling us. Trolls are good for attention. <laughs> Preacher, is it true that God is a white Republican? Loves his guns and his flags, and he'd sell out his son if that's what it takes to win an election. Preacher is Donald Trump, God's new plan to show us the way and to save us. He can build up a wall, he can protect us from all the people who don't like our white Jesus.